Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today is a founding partner at Vice Ventures, a venture capital fund investing in early stage Vice companies. She founded Vice Ventures at just 26 years old after repeatedly brushing up against Vice clauses in investment pitches, which prohibited investment in traditionally bad for you sectors such as cannabis, alcohol, sex tech, CBD, and more, culminating in the idea for the fund, which exclusively invests in these sectors, formerly of, of City Investment Banking and a chief of staff for Bonobos, co-founding Andy Dunn, she's raised $25 million from family offices and high-profile investors like Mark Andreessen and Bradley Tuss. She's featured on Forbes as Forbes 30 Under 30 list and has appeared on Bloomberg, CSQ, and Gondrepreneur, and many, many more. Catherine Dockery welcomes today to Let's Be Bought with Montel. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so pumped. I am pumped too. Look, I mean, what made you, first off, decide to start your own venture capital firm focused on what you decided to focus on, and that is vice. So let's go way back and tell me how this came about. So my interest in vice definitely came about when I was a young child. My dad was a bartender in the uh, West Village of New York City. So for me, I grew around alcohol all the time. I was probably the only eight-year-old that knew what Louis the Fourteenth vodka was. Um, or cognac, I'm sorry, not vodka. Yes, right. So to me, alcohol was never anything that was bad, right? Because it lit- quite literally put food on the table for my father and I. So for me, it wasn't bad at all. So then when I was leaving Walmart, um, I interviewed a ton of consumer venture firms at and they asked me to pitch a business. So I pitched uh, this canned wine company that I invested in that a few years later, Founders Fund actually led the round for. And all of these fund managers were like, look, Catherine, we love the brand. We love the founder. We love your thesis. Unfortunately, we have this vice clause that doesn't allow us to do that. And I heard it so often and I was shy at the time. So I didn't want to ask them what the vice clause was. And then I just got so fed up and I was like, I'm so sorry, but like, what is on your vice clause? I don't understand. And just so everybody knows, a vice clause is is a uh, agreement and an LPA for a fund that you have between an investor and the fund. And it basically says that the fund will not invest in cannabis, alcohol, nicotine, sex tech, um, or any of these interesting interest, uh, categories because they think it's bad for you. Uh, so that's kind of how I got the idea where my interest came for sure. And I mean, these are when you say vice clauses, this is not against the law. This is just something that a family fund puts in their little paperwork that says, we don't want to invest in anything like that. No, please don't ever give it to us to do. But aren't a lot of these clauses so archaic that people would prefer that you at least bring something up? So, yeah. So that's another phenomenal point is that these agreements are so archaic that people didn't even know to think of it as like an innovation that needed to change. They were like, oh, I have a fund. I'm taking money from a pension or an endowment. And because of that, I can't invest in this. And that that was just the conversation. There was no other broader conversation of why, right? Right. Yeah. You know, these, these, and these were things that were probably set up by the patriarch or matriarch that started their endowment 30, 40 years ago, where there may have been some pushback, I guess, on the vice types of businesses. But you know, in recent years, I mean, everything that seems to be on the vice clause is something that is completely acceptable in the United States. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is just proof that attitudes are changing around stigmas. 
right? So right now in the United States, 17.5% of people have admitted smoking weed in both the illegal and the legal market. But at the same time, we're moving to almost 70% of Americans want federal legalization at some point, right? So like, and, well, and, well, and, well, and well over 80% of people agree with medical cannabis. So yep. I've, I've never bought that 17% of the population uh, having consumed. I think that number is more around 50%, but, you know, we can argue that for days. Yeah, I mean, uh, we just pull our numbers from our in-house data scientists. So some of the, the statistics are like totally shocking. And I'm sure a lot of people don't want to admit smoking weed, right? So I'm sure to your point, the number is much higher. Sure thing. And then, so there is much more acceptance in the, these days. And so that's what where you decided, well, hey, there's a there's a gap in this industry. Let me see if I can fill. So what is Vice, Vice Ventures' mission? Um, our mission is to show people that, well, first of all, to break stigma around every single category that we invest in. Because we have a belief that if you talk about your alcohol use or your cannabis use, or you talk about um, having sex, right, having safe sex, understanding what good sex is, right, like all of these are incredibly stigmatized. And we believe that if you bring them into modern conversations by talking about them at companies that you're excited about, you can actually break these stigmas and prevent a lot of unnecessary drug addiction. I really strongly believe that. Um, so that's pretty much is our mission to break down stigmas and to have, get people talking about these categories. I mean, it's now new generations are actually in charge of the funds that were started probably 30, 20, 30 years ago. So I would venture to say, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm speaking out of turn, but it just seems to me that, you know, if I ran a fund or had my own family fund and I was employing you to help me do investments and you didn't bring up some of those things, I'd say, why would you just me that? Right? Absolutely. For Tell sure. me, I mean, you you started this at age 26, you know, and you are not the, the typical picture of a, you know, a, an investment fund manager, you know, female, young, uh, uh, fresh face, fresh start. I mean, what what's it been like for you as a as a woman adventuring down, venturing down this path? I mean, I mean, it's been a journey, right? Like any founder can tell you that. But what I can tell you is that as a woman fund manager, it was pretty easy for me to triage very quickly if someone would be interested or not interested, right? So it kind of made it a lot easier for me understanding people's biases, like which conversations made sense to continue having and which ones didn't. And I got super lucky early on that Mark and Jason was a big believer of us. And that gave us a lot of credibility, obviously, because he's incredibly intelligent. Um, and then from there, it wasn't too hard to raise capital. And now, I mean, since you started your fund, are there a lot of copycats out there now? Copycats out there now? Surprisingly, no. I mean, there's two funds that have reached out to me and they're like, we have the same thesis. You'll never believe it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, can you help us fundraise? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, what am I getting out of that? Like, no. <laughs> like, it's not going to help my fund. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's no copycats per se yet. I, I'm sure they will come. And I wish them great success because I think the thesis is really strong. Give give us give us a little idea of like some of the things that you have actually invested in and use some of the fund. You started off with a twenty five million dollar fund, and you clearly are reaching out to different or companies reach out to you to see if they can get an investment. What are kind of things that you've invested in so far? So first off, is we invested in a company called Parade, which is a women's intimate business. They did over ten million dollars in revenue their first year. Uh, basically, how they did that is that they created this culture around self-expression, meaning that 
one out of every four people who purchase Parade upload a picture of themselves on Instagram in just Parade, like literally just their underwear. So the last time I've seen any type of culture change like that on the internet was with Into the Gloss and Glossier, right? Where women were comfortable uploading photos of themselves without makeup on, with just their skin. Um, so we're incredibly excited about Parade. Uh, we also invested in, in a company called Visas, which is which I'm sure you know of. It's a CBD sparkling water. They actually just launched a new line called Magnesium. Uh, well, called Moo, but it is Magnesium because, fun fact, over 50% of Americans are magnesium deficient. So we're also excited about that. Um, and in addition, we've also invested in a nicotine business called Lucy. And it's very flavorful gums, uh, nicotine gums, and very flavorful nicotine patches. And their mission is to actually bring tobacco related harm to zero, which I think is incredibly important. And the mission fits very well with our fund. Uh, we've also invested in Indos, which is a medical pen, uh, vaporizer pen that basically says, okay, it basically measures vapor into milligrams, uh, and they're 99% accurate, which is pretty phenomenal. That's pretty phenomenal. So what do you predict the future of the VC space to look like for women over the next five years or so? Uh, I mean, I think it's a great time to be a woman in business, right? Uh, And people are throwing money at women companies. Like there's funds now, dozens and maybe hundreds of funds now that focus only on investing in women. Um, So I think it'll only get better for women. The one thing that does worry me is when I talk to an investor for the fund and I'm raising money and the guy is a male, the male investor is like, oh, you should talk to my female, she invests, or my female, oh my God, you should talk to my wife <laughs> because she invested in female companies instead of me. And I'm like, wait, so are we now back to segregation of who gets money from whom? Um, so I think like some of those are, some of some some of the campaigns that are meant to help women, I don't know if they actually have, I guess like kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, what do you think we have to do to start changing that attitude? I mean, you know, this is you are in an industry that was very much male dominated. And now there are lots of women who are coming to the fore. But I think you will need a lot more. I mean, what do you what do you uh, what does a female um, uh, fund investor population look like? But five percent, 10 percent of the industry now is small. Um, but to answer your question on the overcoming like women in general, getting women into business, I think something that hurts women and like hurts me definitely is when people call me a female founded fund, right? Or like it's a female founded business. Instead of like highlighting it's female, just call it fun, right? Make it even to men anonymously, right? Instead of like being like, oh, it's a women founded thing, right? Like I don't, I don't think that's super helpful in the uh, reach for equality, but gotcha. I am there for the fight. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I guess they, and as we see, especially in the cannabis industry, you know, I guess it's represented by less than 5% females in this entire industry. Um, yes. you know, there are more females in the industry than there are people of color. Um, still, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean how, how, do you, how do you think we crack this nut? I mean, I'm incredibly excited what New York State did in terms of taxes. 40% of all tax revenue collected from cannabis is going directly back in through investment in communities of color that were most hurt by the war on drugs. So for me, like I think New York State has the absolute most progressive law so far. Oh, I think progressive, especially from the standpoint that you can even smoke on a counter or you smoke out in public. Wherever cigarettes. Yeah, wherever cigarettes are available, you can smoke. Yeah. And they also getting ready. I mean, I think New York is going to end up being a state that has, you know, more ancillary businesses around cannabis than any other state. I mean, they're now going to allow for restaurants and for not speakeasies, but for, you know, basically social consumption centers, right? Yeah, it's so important. 
incredibly important. And also recognizing that uh, it, it can be alternative to other substances, right? I think it was super clever for uh, New York State to make that law where you could smoke it wherever cigarettes are smoked. I think that is an absolutely incredible thing to do because then it also destigmatizes it, right? Like you have two people smoking weed outside a restaurant and you don't think twice about it, right? right. Because it's something yes. that's in your everyday life. Right. I guess the only thing will be, you know, well, you wouldn't, why would you enter a place that has legal consumption of cannabis and complain about the smoke? I'm, I'm just asking myself this question because, you know, if some of these businesses start to open up, I can't see how anybody would, why would you even bother going to a restaurant that allows for smoking, knowing that people are going to smoke cannabis sitting beside you and then complain about the fact that somebody lit up beside you, right? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, my biggest pet peeve about this is, uh, parents who are like, I don't want my kids near it. And I'm like, okay, with that logic, does that mean that you make sure their your kids are closing their eyes when you pour them a glass of wine or you pour yourself a glass of wine, right? Like, do you tell them to shut your eyes when you walk past a cigarette, right? Like it's so inconsistent and it's not helpful for anybody's development. There's the country society stigmas, right? I just, I just don't think it's helpful. That type of attitude. No, I agree with you there. Well, so, so you did talk about a couple of the companies that you were in, but tell me what you were looking for when it, it comes time to investing in companies, specifically when it comes to cannabis brands. We as a fund are absolutely ecstatic about New York State legalization. And we have a thesis that brands are built in New York. So if you think about it, you have Away, Bonobos, Glossier, Warby Parker, Grades, Allbirds, right? The list just goes on and on. And these brands, these consumer brands are built in New York City. So as a brand investor in general, back when I did normal consumer brands and now I'm doing vice consumer brands, I still have the same thesis. So I'm wildly excited about any cannabis brand that's starting in New York. And I would love to talk to them for sure. And there's a reason why we didn't invest in California cannabis uh, that much just because the valuations were crazy and a lot of the margins aren't great. Uh, and we, we, I kind of knew that like New York would always be more progressive in a way because the way New York politics looks is they look at what's working, right? And like what needs to be changed where they make their own laws. Um, so because of that, we, we've been excited for a long time about this reg- regulation and we couldn't be more excited to welcome uh, Canvas Brands into the tech ecosystem. Well, and then, you know, what kind of uh, advice would you give somebody who wanted to start up a Canvas brand, especially in New York? I used to live in New York. I live in Miami now. But since I know that that New York is going to open, I'm in the middle of of signing a deal with I think one of the the, the more successful cannabis companies on the East Coast right now to actually continue to fulfill my um, production and hopefully be back in the marketplace real soon. But if I wanted to jump into the space in say Manhattan, what would I what would you be looking for? And what would you? What kind of advice would you give me? In in would I just be building a brand? Would it be uh, why not build out a a social, you know, meeting place? What, what kind of advice would you give me? Um, I mean, it depends what they're looking to do. I would say if you're looking to start dispensaries, um, I would say probably what I think is going to attract the most capital is if you can find a way to hire the people who have been unfairly incarcerated, right. And somehow mix them into your dispensary or mix them into your brand or anything. Like I think it's incredibly, incredibly important that we include all types of diversity in cannabis yeah. just because of its racist roots. Right. Um, so I think, I think New York, New York, I'm cut you off, but I think New York is going to help literally bolster some of the equity programs in other states because you know i, I gotta tell you up till now i've kind of felt more like most of the equity programs that have been launched across the country have been nothing more than lip service 
They really haven't done and worked hard enough to fulfill the requirements of equity, whereas New York is making it mandatory. And so you're going to see the rest of the country kind of fall into place. But go ahead. I think think it's, I mean, as a fund, we always say that cannabis legalization will reverse mass incarceration. There's like no question about it, right? Uh, So we, first and foremost, are incredibly excited about that. Uh, But besides that, if you're starting a cannabis brand in New York, I would say get your brand together now. Figure out what your product is, figure out what your brand to be. The minute that you can like use somebody's license to produce your brand, I think you should do it. And I think you should reach out now for funding because it's going to be very expensive to get that off the ground. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about your Young Venture Capitalist member- Mentorship Program. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that started based off a very bad deal. We were leading, we did all the paperwork, we in- reincorporated the company, everything. Um, and then I got into a conversation about whether cannabis is benefit. And I 100% believe that cannabis is benefit without question, right? Like, you can't argue that. Uh, but I don't believe that, for example, like very sugary gummies or <laughs> products with tons and tons of sugar probably aren't the cannabis medicine that you'd be looking to try, right? Um, so anyway, based on the conversation, the investor who, who was minimum three times by age, I think, uh, who's had his own personal uh, luck, I would say, um, he was so offended about me asking him more about his cannabis use around medicine that he told the, the company that... I, uh, what was the exact information? Hold on. It, it was like that I thought that cannabis was a narcotic or something, despite me consuming a ton of cannabis myself. Um, so after that happened, we're like, wow, like this is a huge problem, right? This is not just because I'm a woman. It's also because I'm super young and it's because they think that they can take advantage of me. Right. So from that, I was like, wow, I'm not that special. I'm not. I, there's nothing that's more different for me than any other young fund manager or anybody else. And I was like, this needs to stop. And like, how do you change this behavior, right? You can't change an old person's behavior, but you can change the up and coming VC generation, right? And I would love to work in an environment that's way more collaborative and kind than it is right now. Uh, so because of that, we started this program and it's been a complete success. We uh, we have a ton of mentors that are incredibly happy that have thanked us. We've had a ton of uh, mentees who've been super happy and we've been able to make great connections. Uh, and everybody's been able to make your connections and it's been more of a success than I thought it would be. To be honest, and I'm tr- really not trying to brag. I'm just really surprised it worked out so well. <laughs> I mean, you know, you faced a lot of skepticism when you started Vice Ventures. I mean, and you overcame them by sticking to your plan. But I mean, you know, a lot of other people would not have stuck to that plan. But what, what, what helped you figure this out? I mean, that's just who I am as a person. Like, I'm very much in the camp of make goals, do not disappoint make goals, meet the goals, right? Like, that's just who I am. So I was like, you know what? This is my goal. I want to turn this on this much. And we've already kind of achieved that, to be honest. So I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for helping these cannabis brands grow. I love building businesses. There's nothing more than I love in building. So I cannot wait to start building in New York for cannabis. I think it's going to be so much fun. I think it's going to be incredibly important and rewarding work for everybody. I think, again, New York is going to now, once they finally implemented that, do you know what stage they are in right now? I know where they've still been putting together their administrative rules and regulations, though it has passed. And I know I haven't flown into New York uh, in the last year, but Smart. I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that, you know, like everything else, the second people heard, oh, we just passed, boom, the industry's already on the ground and already up and running. I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember 
you know, come on, you could you could have uh, uh, deliveries to your door ten years ago in Manhattan. Yeah, I uh, mean, it's also a bigger question too in New York, right? Because uh, I've had a relationship with my dealer for I don't know fifteen years, right? Like, my dad's had a relationship with the dealer for like what thirty five years, right? So you're gonna have to rate like break up a lot of these relationships, and what's also intellectually and like legally very fascinating in New York is that because it's legal, you can smoke it anywhere. And you can buy it legally from somebody who is selling it illegally. Right. Like riddle me that. Like. Right. And then what? So I mean, it's it's going to take a while for them to work out a lot of those bugs, don't you think? Oh, without question. I mean, I think we're in the very beginning stages of New York uh, legalization. I mean, I think we obviously overcame the biggest hurdle, uh, which was Cuomo signing it on March thirty first, twenty twenty one. Right. Uh, but besides that, like, I still think we have a long way to go. Right. Like there's a lot of questions that need to be answered uh, sometime in the next few years. New Yorkers are supposedly been able to walk into a dispensary and buy recreational cannabis. Um, but I mean, we'll see how the city and how the, uh, the state executes on those plans. Are they still going to have a medical program and a recreational program or now is everything shifted over to a recreational program? That's the one I couldn't understand. I think medical cannabis is incredibly important. And I would say that it's different, right, than a lot of recreational cannabis. But will it be sold out of the same? I think it'll be sold differently, I believe. I have mm-hmm. to double check that law. But yeah, I think so. And I think it would make sense to do so. Um, like, just because I think, medical, again, medical cannabis, like those, te- like, those strains have been tested, right? Like, you know they work. There's the clinical trials, all of this stuff. Um, so I think it's important that people who use medical cannabis get the best quality they can. Yeah, you know, I remember in California, there were, you know, a lot of the dispensaries that were out there just literally hung a curtain, you know, for a couple of, when, when the law changed, put a curtain up and said, well, let me just take everything out of this shelf and put it in this shelf. Now you got medical and you have recreational. It seemed kind of stupid to me. I, I, would, I would go away and then you look at the pricing and the pricing on one is higher than the other. What? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll also be interesting to see if insurance companies, right, if they, if this is prescribed by doctors and it's federally legal like i think it'll be incredibly fascinating intellectually to think will these insurance companies cover some of the costs but we're still going to have to get over that federal hurdle just yeah exactly like descheduled yeah yeah i mean it's a bigger problem but new york state's done what they've done but that's doctor has not seemed to affect the country yeah (laughs) yeah it 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 doesn't seem to affect the guy in the white house right now either or the nope. vice in the White House. I, I I don't understand that. I mean, you know, when you look back in time, you know, any other issue that's faced this nation where less than or close to 22 or 23 states have have uh, made legal, the rest of the country follows suit. But here we have almost 80 percent of the country. And with New York, it'll really be 85, 86 percent of the country in a legal situation, but still have that. 15% that says no, that now ruins it for everybody else. And what's also super fascinating is, I mean, full transparency, I voted for Biden. I'm a huge Biden fan, all of that. Uh, but our vice president has actually put people in prison because of cannabis in California. So I'm very curious how, I mean, I think she's a genius, by the way, and she's inspired me so much that I decided in my next life I want to be a litigator. But these are these questions are still pretty unanswered to me, to be honest. So I'm very curious what the path of legal. I've been saying this before they actually even got in office when you know Biden first stepped up and said six months ago, six months before he got in office, that he still thought cannabis was a gateway drug. And then you have Harris who goes on radio shows laughing and giggling about her 
own personal cannabis use, but then wouldn't say anything at all about the fact that she incarcerated more people under her, uh, you know, yep. age experience than the previous one for cannabis, especially people of color. So, yes. You know, yes. And, and I'm really even a little bit more shocked at the fact that they said that they were going to do something in the first hundred days, but here we are coming up on it, you know, what, in about another 20 days, we're coming up on that first hundred days and they still have not openly said what they think they may want to do. It's crazy. I mean, I, I believe I, I, I'm a natural optimist, right? Like I just am. So for me, I try to believe and I want to believe and I am envisioning a world where cannabis is legal, everybody is de-incarcerated and then we can somehow get these people back into the cannabis industry, right? Um, but for me, what's more, I mean, if somebody had to ask my opinion, um, which I guess I'll just tell you my opinion, I would love to start a nonprofit for people who are incarcerated unfairly for cannabis to have them come out of prison and go through a mental health cycle, right? Some type of screening and get help because think of the anger you must have as a person to be imprisoned unfairly for like, who knows how long, right? Like it's, it's so unfair. Well, and like, I'm recently so worried. Let out, they've recently let a man out of prison who was in there for over 30 years and for being you know, arrested for a nonviolent cannabis crime in a state that now has legal cannabis. I mean, how ridiculous is that? It gets me so frustrated and angry, so much so that I now donate monthly for years now to the DPA, which is the Drug Policy Alliance, which is the biggest lobbyist for social justice programs for cannabis legalization. Um, just because I'm like, you know what? Like, I should give money to people who have the influence to make these changes. Um, so that's kind of where I stand on this. You know, then what kind of challenges have you been facing, you know, during the pandemic and now that we're getting ready to come out of the pandemic? Do you see things changing right now when it comes to venture capitalists deciding that maybe it's time for them to put my toe in? Yeah, I mean, the funding situation right now is absolutely bananas in the market. You have 900 SPACs or something, like unbelievable amount of SPACs that are multi-billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, and they're trying to make acquisitions up and right. Um, so I think now is a great time if you've been in the market, in the VC market for years, I think it's a phenomenal time to get a ton of exits, right? Um, but for the pandemic specifically, I mean, Vice Ventures got very lucky where our portfolio did exceptionally well during COVID. Uh, I can just give you like two reasons because they're actually pretty funny. Uh, the first one is Parade, the women's intimate business. Uh, they actually found that... Gen Z and millennials hated doing laundry so much that they would rather buy new underwear than wash their, their underwear. So I thought that was highly entertaining. And the second one is, I'm sure you know, the CDC came out and said that if you smoke cigarettes and say anything about cannabis, obviously, um, you are one time, 1.4 times more likely to die of COVID. So because of that, a lot of people who use uh, nicotine vaporizers, who smoke cigarettes, combustible cigarettes, they then switched over to Lucy, which is clean nicotine, which hasn't really been proven to cause cancers. Wow. So, so that, that went. <laughs> sure. sure, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and there's, there is definitely now coming out of, you know, COVID, there is a culture shift when you take a look at the fact that, Cannabis sales are up, you know, across the board. The industry seemed to have been recession proof. And like you just hit it, I think other vices are not vices, but other, you know. Um, sure. I would call parade advice for sure. Okay. Well, other vices are, are becoming more acceptable. 
Um, and people are also more of an attitude of get out of my my you know bedroom, get out of my bathroom, get out of my closet, get out of my living room um, yes. attitude. Do, do you think what else? I mean, and I also think your generation um, has a lot to do with the rapid shift in culture in America uh, today. I mean, my generation is the ones that are still trying to hold on to as much hate as they possibly can. You know, I'm excited about your generation stepping in to, you know, see if you can smack those old folks around a little bit. But do you, do you see, you know, what, what if you had to put your crystal ball on, what do you think it's going to look like in America in the next two years when it comes to cannabis? Um, so I'll talk about all vices first, and I'll talk about cannabis. Um, sure. In terms of all vices, I think now is a phenomenal time for brand discovery. As people start going to restaurants and they start shopping and then the streets, I think people are going to be looking to try new stuff, new brands. Uh, and I think alcohol is going to go up because, let's be honest, uh, glass of wine. There's nothing better, like in terms of social lubricant, right? Like nothing better than a glass of wine. Uh, but in terms of right, do you think that cannabis is going to replace that glass of wine? No, as that social lubricant. So I think we have to prove. I mean, that brings up a, a larger question, right? Like we have to prove is cannabis a social drug, right? I mean, I love to use cannabis by myself to think. Uh, I obviously smoke with friends, and I've passed the peace pipe, but like. In modern day, do, are people going to want to put their lips on someone else's stuff, right? So, like, I think there's a lot of questions and pieces to be proved around that, and I think we'll find out after the pandemic for sure. Sure, yeah, I, I, I've also thought, heard about that, and not heard about it, but noticed it clearly. I mean, you know, now where you used to stand around in a group of four or five and pass a single joint, now someone opens up a bag and passes a nug to four or five different people, and so you figure yeah. out what to do with that nug yourself whether put it in your old bowl or roll it up yourself. And, you know, I've also noticed that, you know, people just pass on, you know, a joint that was rolled by somebody else who licked it, you know? So, but I think that the industry is going to be open for newer, you, newer varied kinds of delivery systems that will still allow for that social experience. Though we may not be passing, we may just be doing it at the same time. What's also an interesting point, I guess, the difference between like alcohol being social and cannabis being social is that I don't know about you, but when I'm smoking weed, I'm very happily high. I'm thinking a lot of being very creative, right? But I'm not impulsive, right? But if you go to a bar and you buy a drink and two drinks, you're going to impulsively buy three, you'll buy one for your friend, right? Because like scientifically, like drinking makes you more impulsive. Um, so I think the way that cannabis consumption is going to win these con consumption lounges is finding a way to re recreate that impulsiveness, right? Like if you buy a J, what else can you buy at the lounge, right? Like what are you serving? What can we do? What can we consume, right? So I think a lot of those questions are yet to be answered and I'm super excited to see kind of like where that thought process goes. Yeah, I think though, I think we're, we're starting from my perspective. I mean, I've, I've been around some people who, you know, a year ago we shared something and then, you know, since I've been around them, you know, they break out theirs, I break out mine, you know, and then I might take out an alcohol swab, clean mine and hand it over and sway back, that kind of thing. Not with the paper. So I, mean, I think there, there's there's going to be, you know, a new wave afoot of how to, you know, because I, I know a lot of people have also said to me during this podcast that, you know, they miss that opportunity to hang out with a friend and pass a J. Even if yeah. they miss the opportunity of just hanging out with a friend and smoking at the same time, not necessarily passing, but smoking at the same time. So yeah, totally. it's going to come back, I think. I don't yeah, know. I mean, like, I think the way that we consume cannabis is going to consistently change. 
right? I think that there's going to be a lot of great form factors that we didn't even think of, right? Like I, I some of the companies we've seen, I never in a million years would have thought of it. Um, so I think, I just think now's the time for innovation and like now's the time to build, especially around vices, specifically around cannabis. As you said, that 80 something percent of states have legalized, right? Like now is the best time to build a cannabis brand where you right. don't have to put up with all like the California bullshit, right? Of like right. every six months, like resistance packaging, like, oh, I have a beverage. Oh, there's 90 other beverages on the market. Oh, I need my special fridge, right? Like, so I, I'm as an investor and as a consumer, I'm super, super excited to see another model. Right. That's great. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what what do you what do you think is next for the VC world? What do, what do you envision happening in the next couple of years when it comes to, you know, more not not just more women in your space, but just do you think that people are going to come out of the dark now and start putting more money into investing in the new technologies and the new new ideas? I, I mean, of course, I think so. Uh, I mean, I think I also legally, not legally, I have to say that, but <laughs> I do think people will still put money in, right, in um, uh, venture capital in general. But in terms of what I think will happen, I think there'll be a lot more micro funds, meaning funds that are super small compared to like a light speed or one of these other like $100 million funds, even billion dollar funds, right? I think investors will start to look, especially as we come out of the pandemic, at which funds are just flipping management fees and investing super, super quickly so they can get to the next one versus funds that are focusing on their bets and winning and moving on to the next one. Uh, So I think we're going to see a lot of different investing strategies come out of this uh, and definitely a lot more micro funds with like specific pieces, like only invest in businesses or only investing in women or only investing in people of color, right? I think we're going to see a lot more mission-driven uh, funds in the future for sure. Well, so if somebody wanted to reach out to you and figure out and try to try to contact you, where do they go? How do they get to you? Info at viceventures.com. Say it one more time. Info, I-N-F-O okay. at viceventures.com. Well, my goodness, thank you so much, Kevin, for being a part of the show today. I tell you, the information is really just timely and right on right on mark um you know i know that my viewers are going to love hearing you and and you know you always have a home here if there's ever anything you want to talk about you can come back here to let's be ball montel anytime you want awesome that is such an honor thank you so so much for having me absolutely and you know we'll, we'll start putting our proposal together to submit it to you too so yeah hey, it's so so nice to meet you you take care of yourself stay well Stay safe. Thank you. We'll soon, okay? Um, yeah, also really wait, is this still recording? Yeah, we're still recording. Okay. Um, just just to get this message out, we are hosting two events on 420. The sure. first one is 420 uh EST and it's on Zoom and it's come light up with us. So I'll be smoking Jay, our whole team will be smoking, a lot of people will be smoking on Zoom. Uh, and I'll be interviewing the number one cannabis lawyer in the country about obviously what's happening. We'll be interviewing uh, some founders will be hearing pitches, but the pitches, uh, it has to be a cannabis company and you have to be using the product like pitch. Uh, mm-hmm. So if anybody's interested in that, please come. And then we're also hosting a clubhouse at 420 PST, uh, which is called Puff Puff Pitch. And you can come and pitch your company and do it on that platform. Super. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I again, info. Advicevengers.com. Info advicevengers.com. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. You take care, stay well, and we'll see you soon. And make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.
Thank <laughs> you.